My name is Kathy Sander, and I'd like to share with you what the Lord taught me as I studied Ezra chapter 8. I have no title for my talk, but I want to dedicate it to Ginny Romano and Maureen Kruger, who inspired me to really dig in and also spent time in prayer on my behalf. And I want to thank you for my table group who remind me that I'm speaking with friends. The eighth chapter in the book of Ezra begins with a list of the family heads returning with Ezra to Jerusalem. My initial thoughts were, why is this here and what does it mean? Verse 1 reads, these are the family heads and those who came up with me from Babylon during the reign of King Artaxerxes. Okay, so these people would be significant and have meaning to the readers during this time period. This was good enough for me to progress. While working on the women's Bible study questions for Ezra 8, I learned that many of these people seemed to be related to the first group of exiles who returned to Jerusalem with Zerubbabel in Ezra chapter 2. A friend of mine gave me a copy of the NIV one-year chronological Bible. For me, it's the two-year chronological Bible. <laughs> anyway, I decided to find out where the events of the book of Ezra and specifically Ezra 8 overlapped in the chronology of other biblical events. I felt like I needed this information to orient myself. However, before consulting this Bible, I wondered, who were the contributors to the NIV Chronological Bible? I wondered about their credibility. How did they have the authority to determine the timetable of this vast array of scripture? I began with the first page until I reached the page which at the top simply said contributors. The very first name was familiar to me, Old Testament scholar Tremper Longman III. Hmm, where did I hear that name before? I consulted Wikipedia and, <laughs> and found Tremper Longman III in a list of former faculty at Westminster Seminary. I saw other familiar names in this list of former faculty at Westminster Seminary. Cornelius Van Til, J.A. Adams, J. Allen Groves, Timothy J. Keller, and Jack Miller, officially known as Pastor C. John Miller, or Barbara Miller Giuliani's father. <laughs> Interesting. I found meaning in this list of names. These names gave me further confidence in this Old Testament scholar who, with a team of other learned men, together arranged the text of the Bible in a chronological manner to assist the average lay reader such as myself. So, moving forward chronologically, the events of Ezra chapter 8 happened after the events of the book of Daniel and the book of Esther. Some scholars believe that King Artaxerxes may have known King Esther or at least known of her. As we look at the list of people in verses 1 through 14, I want you to picture in your mind any mountain range you viewed personally or in a picture or a movie. Mick and I had the pleasure of visiting Switzerland for one day with friends. <laughs> we drove way up a mountain 
And as we looked over at the layers of mountains, Debbie Chastine told me that between each layer of mountains were whole villages. In the same way, when we're looking at this list of names or lists of names in the Bible, um, between each pairing of names of the descendants of Phineas, Gershom, of the descendants of Ithamar, Daniel, between each set of names listed, there was a whole group of unnamed people, the generations between. So now, when we see this long list of names, words on a page, we can reinterpret this as a word picture of many generations of many real people and their families, instead of just unfamiliar names on a page. So verse 14 is the last of the genealogical list. Before we talk about the next verses, I want to remind you of a few general things we learned from Maureen's research about Ezra the man. I want to thank Maureen for making this information accessible, relevant, and interesting. In great detail, Maureen showed us who this man was personally as well as professionally. Ezra was devoted to God and spent a great amount of time studying God's law in order to pursue God and know his character. The hand of God was on Ezra to make him an influential and integral part of his society during his lifetime and beyond. To this day, he is revered by the Jewish people. And to quote Maureen Kruger, considered second only to King David and on equal footing with Moses. In my study Bible, the remaining section of this chapter is labeled the return to Jerusalem. Verse 15 begins in the voice of the prophet Ezra. I assembled them at the canal that flows toward Ahava and we camped there three days. When I checked among the people and the priests, I found no Levites there. As I read this one verse, questions popped into my mind. What? Why stop now? And for three days? For what? Why not just keep moving? And um, why didn't you check to make sure you had Levites ahead of time? This sounds like poor planning to me. To anyone who knows me well, this is pretty funny. No matter how much time and energy I put into planning ahead, there always seem to be significant things I've forgotten to gather. I frequently need to pause the progress and go get some necessary item before I can proceed. Or I improvise. Knowing that Levites were the only group of people who were able to minister in the temple on behalf of the people, this still seemed like a pretty big oops to me and not a situation in which you would choose to improvise, especially not a wise man like Ezra. Verse 16 reads, So I summoned Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jerig, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, who were leaders, and Jareb and Elnathan, who were men of learning. I double and triple checked. The name Elnathan is used three times here for three different men. Without any further research, I chose to conclude that it was a popular name and move on. <laughs> so, Ezra gathers nine men who were leaders and two smart guys. He sends these men together on a quest. They approached Ido, the leader in Cassipia. 
In this place, they asked Ido and his kinsmen, who were the temple servants in this place, to supply them with attendants to serve in the house of God. This brings to mind Corinthians chapter 12, in which Paul discourses about the need for the many parts of the body of Christ to function together in the kingdom of God. As we continue in verses 18 through 20, Ezra clearly honors God as he declared the result of this quest, because the gracious hand of the Lord was on us. He continues to tell us that many men from the house of Levi were given to minister on their behalf in Jerusalem. Listed was a man named Sherebiah, who was described as a capable man, along with many of his descendants. In addition, they were entrusted with 220 temple servants who were all registered by name. In verses 21 through 23, we read, There, by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast, so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us. Okay, so they're all gathered to return to Jerusalem. They stopped to gather more important things they needed, which happened to be Levitical priests. (laughs) Ezra is proposing a fast for all these people who are on a journey. All I can think is, don't they need their strength and sustenance? I don't understand. This makes no sense to me. They are on a journey. And isn't praying for their possessions just worldly? Psalm 106, at least in part, is thought to have been written around the same time period as the events of Ezra chapter 8. As I read the first verse of Psalm 106, I heard Kim Clement singing in my mind. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. The psalmist sings praise to the Lord, but he also laments Israel's past sin and remembers and reminds God of his mercy. The psalmist remembers and speaks of the deliverance of God and how God caused their captors to have pity on them. Psalm 106 ends with verses 47 and 48. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Since the place name Ahava was mentioned earlier in this chapter, I decided I needed to find out how to correctly pronounce Ahava. I found a short video clip. It was Israel Daily's Hebrew word of the day on ILTV. Mm-hmm. And it had been um, uh, broadcast on Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. I learned a few things beyond how to pronounce Ahava. I learned that Ahava means love. Furthermore, the ancient Hebrew In ancient Hebrew, the root of the word is hav, which means to give, which indicates in order to love, there must be a willingness to give. 
So God asked Ezra and these other Hebrews to do something they in their flesh were unable to do themselves. They could not proceed without God's help. God was their sustenance. They needed to stop. They needed to humble themselves together for three days and marinate in Ahava. They desperately needed the Ahava of God before they could move forward. So, to repeat, in verses 21 through 23, we read, There, by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast, so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children and all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this and he answered our prayer. The chapter ends with Ezra entrusting valuable objects into the care of the leading priests. Everything is carefully accounted for. In verses 28 and 29, we read, I said to them, you as well as these articles are consecrated to the Lord. The silver and gold are a free will offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them carefully until you weigh them out in the chambers of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem before the leading priests and the Levites and the family heads of Israel. Again, there is this solemn emphasis on accountability and the need to work together, as they together must trust God. The things they were entrusted with had great value. In verses 31 and 32, at the end of the three days, they set out from the Ahava Canal to go to Jerusalem. Ezra states, the hand of God was on us and he protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived in Jerusalem where we rested three days. So they fasted and petitioned God for three days before completing their journey. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they rested for three more days before they did anything else. According to a note in my NIV study Bible, Nehemiah took a similar rest after his arrival in Jerusalem, which is referred to in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. It was only after this three-day rest from their journey, on the fourth day of their arrival in Jerusalem, that they proceeded in their work. They brought the sacred articles to the priests, which were carefully accounted for, precisely weighed, and recorded. Next, they sacrificed burnt offerings to the Lord. The last verse of Ezra, chapter 8, verse 36 states, They also delivered the king's orders to the royal satraps and to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, who then gave assistance to the people and to the house of God. I want to end repeating the last two verses of Psalm 106, the plea of God's people during this transitional time of new beginnings. Save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord.